Hello, everyone. Wow. We're back. We're back. We're back. It's been a long, long time since I've recorded, and I'm very sorry about that. But if you're with us now, this is the Football Roundtable. I am Kevin Schur, and I am so excited. June 17th, June 17th, June 17th. The Premier League is back, and no one is happier than I am because my club has a chance to lift a trophy, uh, not just any trophy, the beloved, the holy grail, the Premier League trophy, the first time in the club's history. That's the one thing I'm the most happy about. Um, But let's catch up. What's been happening? Let's see. The Bundesliga started about three weeks ago, and I've watched a little bit of that. It's not really my thing, Um, but I will give them credit. They are the second most enjoyable league that I've ever watched after England. So great goals, great play, but there's only one or two or three clubs that are really going to compete for anything. And I know people will say the same thing about the Premier League also, but I don't necessarily agree. And, um, you know, the lower clubs, they're just in the Premier League. They're just able to fight with the top ones. And that's just one of the reasons why I'm so excited for it to come back because, you know, we've had this big break. Like Liverpool were two games away from clinching the title and then halted by the coronavirus. And um, I know there's been a lot of trouble around the United States recently, but we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on football coming back because that is just, it's just great. It can only bring positivity. It can only bring positive things to the world. And, um, yeah, in some news for the website and the podcast, we have three new writers, Matthew Poma from JMU, from my school, and we have Ryan Mahan and Justin Schwager. They, Ryan and Justin signed on today, and we're so happy to have them. Ryan will be covering a lot of Premier League articles, as well as Justin, but Justin is very educated on, um, you know, the U.S. soccer team and, you know, player development and recruiting and scouting and stuff like that. So it's good that we're bringing a lot of diversity to the website, and that's something I'm really happy about. But, um, yeah, it should be really exciting, the future of uh, what's to come for the Football Roundtable. The domain name is changed to www.thefootballroundtable.com it matches the podcast it was top flight football before so make sure that if you're listening you make sure that you have that all together um yeah exciting to have new people on we might record a podcast because the rules of the coronavirus are dying down a little bit and we could meet up and get the mics together and record another episode because I know probably hearing my voice for about 30 to 40 minutes might be a little tiresome. But news today, which kind of shocked me a little bit, made me a little bit upset because it was just I'm just confused. Chelsea and Leipzig agree on a deal for Timo Werner. And it seemed to to me, I thought it was just a one-team race the whole time. He said he didn't want to go to Madrid. He said no Barca. It was. It seemed like it was Liverpool through and through. 
you know, we talk so highly of Klopp and the club that this is so surprising to me. But what people fail to understand is that the clubs agreed to a price tag. And Ryan was telling me earlier when I asked him, he said, I'm not a pessimist, but you shouldn't. I, I, what I said in our group chat was that, you know, just because the clubs agreed on a price tag doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to sign for the club. Because if he talks so highly of one club for months after months, and then he, you know, he still has the chance to decline it. And I know people will tell me, um, you know, it's not going to happen. Don't get your hopes up. It's not over. And if we don't get him, it's not the worst thing in the world. It really isn't. Um, I think the I think the deal was about fifty six million before before bonuses and sign on fees. So yeah, there was a bunch of confusion and mix ups about what his um, release clause was, what the value of his release clause was. Because at first I thought it was thirty million. That's what I heard. Then I heard it go up to forty, and then fifty. I was so confused where it was, but. Um, yeah, I, I think the fact that Leipzig agreed to that deal was because that Liverpool haven't made an offer yet. And if Timo turns down a Chelsea contract during negotiations, that's when I think Liverpool have to swoop in because they know that if he turns down Chelsea, then he knows that they're going after him. You know, or if he turns down Chelsea, Liverpool have to kind of see that and say he wants to be here and we're a club that has a little bit more money than we did a a few years ago we got to take advantage you know again and I was talking to another one of my friends I think the reason why Chelsea would be a better fit for him is because you know he'd get better playing time and you know under Lampard I was gonna read out what Kyle said um. yeah I, I kind of think that Chelsea are in a rebuild stage just because they have a new manager or like uh, only who's, who's only a year in and a lot of young players they have like two or three that are over 25 that make the first team a lot of them are really young you know Pulisic even though he's already in that world class area Pulisic you got Tammy Abraham you got Mason Mount you got Reese James you know um you know, Kovacic, I mean, that's permanent. That's probably one of the better players they have. Conte, I don't know what his future is going to be like because if Chelsea don't start winning, I feel like N'Golo Conte should, you know, look for a team that can win trophies. But he also seems like a guy that's really loyal. And then in goal, they have Kepa and stuff like that. But Kyle says some. he says that they're not in a rebuild stage, and I can see why. And – they finished fourth last year, or they finished fourth. They're in fourth right now. You know, that means Champions League football for Timo next year. And that means playtime guaranteed, unlike Liverpool. Young players, which can always grow. And I think, and he thinks that overall, Chelsea's in a good position. And I, I can get behind that. This is something, they just signed Ziyech, which is, you know, yeah, he's saying the only reason this would be considered a rebuild was because of the transfer ban. We just signed Ziyech. You know, Ziyech is a great player, and I think he's going to move them forward a little bit, and they're going to start attracting more and more talent, you know. They still lack that number nine, and I think that's what Timo's going to be if he signs. You know, Higuain failed. 
Murata failed, Giroux failed. They need that they need that tall striker who can who's a great finisher and that's who Timo Werner is and he also adds an element of pace to his game too, which is incredibly important. I don't know if it fits Lampard's style, but it should be interesting. And I I think you know I was I'm about to write an article or I might hold off cuz I was doing a Photoshop project of trying to get Liverpool kits on the tra- some of their transfer targets, like Timo. Starting to think I jinx the whole Timo Werner to Liverpool thing. But for Liverpool, I think that Timo shouldn't be their first priority just because they don't need him. Like, yeah, I get it. Like, if Firmino's tired and they need somebody reliable to come in, you know, around, like, December when it's really packed, the schedule's just jammed in, I get where he would be and what his role would be. He would be like a Rigi, but better you know and I think we're trying to get into into a position as a club like City is now where we have people on the bench like Mares and Sané and all these world-class players 60 million plus players on the bench at our disposal some people might say we're at that point right now you know we have Oxide Chamberlain and Navi Keita and Origi and you know all these all these people all these solid guys on the bench you know um you know, but I, I just don't think we need Timo. Like, I love Origi, and I'll get into it in a minute, some of the transfer stuff I've heard this week about Liverpool. This is probably going to be a Liverpool episode, so um, just because I'm just so excited for the Prem to be back. I'll talk about the other clubs, but mainly the Reds today. Timo shouldn't be signed for that reason. He's too good to be to not be utilized enough. He's he's like he's, I have the same opinion about Origi, you know, Divock Origi, I feel like he would be so much better if he was starting for Liverpool and got more playtime in that system because time and time again, he scored amazing goals, important goals, clutch goals. But yet, week after week, he's not going to start over any of those three up front. Ever. Ever. Unless Mo leaves and we're waiting for a replacement. Unless any of them leave and we're waiting for a replacement. That's the only circumstance. Klopp's built this system, and it's set that way. We're in an era where we need to capitalize on us being in our prime form, and we need to start winning trophies. And that's what we've done. We won the Champions League last year. We're 25 points clear of second place in the Premier League table, and the season will finish, as we've seen, on June 17th. It all starts all starts up again. You know, we have this system, and, you know, Divock Origi and Timo are the same type of players. So, no, I don't recommend that signing. And I think that's why we've held off for so long. I don't think this is a hard decision for Liverpool. Obviously, I would love to see him. Like, depth is amazing. And having a world-class player like Timo Werner on the bench is something you can never complain about. You know, if you have somebody like Firmino starting and you have somebody at like Werner at your disposal, and Werner can play on the left wing too. So, if, you know, Mane has to come off, or if Salah has to come off, you move Mane to the right, put Werner on the left. If Mane has to come off, you straight swap for Werner. If if Salah has to come off, you can always do a Rigi too if he's still there. If you want Firmino off, you can have Werner on. It's a great thing to have, but A, we're not a club to just go out and splash cash on any player. The only two play, the only we've done that for about three players, and they are my, in my opinion, the three most important players at the club right now, and that's. Virgil van Dijk, second runner-up to the, for the Ballon d'Or last year, only behind the greatest player of all time, Lionel Messi. Allison, 
who came in for the place of Karius, who literally blew a Champions League final because he buttered up his gloves and got elbowed in the head by Sergio Ramos and got a concussion. And he just brings such a different element. He's not just a goalkeeper. He's an 11th field player. And when I say that, I mean him, Ederson, Ter Stegen, they're all in Neuer too. He's experienced enough where he's, de- he's developed that attribute to his game. Where they're field players, they can play football on the pitch with the rest of the 11 players. They can possess the ball. They can make the right decisions. Mignolet was awful at that. Throughout my time as a Liverpool supporter, I was so scared when the keeper had it at the back. I either knew we were going to give it away in the defensive area or we were just going to clear it to the halfway line and they were going to win the header and get possession. It was that simple. Then Karius comes in. He's a little bit more stable between the posts. You know, not what we're looking for in terms of our development as a club, like from what we need under Klopp. And then Allison comes in and he's just this whole different element of a goalkeeper. He changes everything. So he's number two. And then three is Fabinho. He's a rock in the middle. Most important position in the whole entire game is that central midfield position. Because anything gets through there, you're vulnerable. That controls the whole game. Whether you have possession of the ball, that's based on the midfield. So Fabinho, and he's just a rock in the back. He can, you know, mark up with most attackers in the world and those are the three most important people now maybe I'm forgetting the point that I was making there but now I just remembered because that's the only instance where we've spent 60 plus million on a player Salah 35 million Um, Salah how much was it 35 million 35 million for Salah Mane, 34 million. Firmino, I think it was less than that. Firmino, 29 million. The, in my opinion, the best front three on the planet, if my math is correct, is barely nearing 100, which is, you know, which is just around 100 million if I'm doing the math right, but I'm not a mathematician. I'm just a guy trying to start a, journal, a career in journalism. But, if you just think about that, like we don't need to go out and spend boatloads of cash. We bring in these underrated, you know, low-key stars and we develop the crap out of them. Now, like, look at these three players. And I think Klopp looks at it and he says, unless it's absolutely necessary, like a center back, because that was our biggest problem was defending and goalkeeping, which is our second biggest problem then we're not going to do it. And I think Fabinho was kind of just the nail in the coffin on our full development as a club. You know, we're at this stage now because he's that final step, that final piece. We had the front three, the star front three, as we saw Mo in his first season just tear the league apart with 33 goals breaking the record. And then the next season we had to go out. We had to strengthen our midfield. It's the only thing we needed, and we did it. And... You know, I get updates mostly every day. Like, we're not going to contact Timo Werner. We don't want to spend that money. The people we're going to go after are, 
you know, one interesting story I heard, which I'm talking about right now, I'm not going to anything else, is Koulibaly from Napoli. I saw a story earlier this week that there's a potential trade and transfer. Liverpool are thinking about, this may just be speculation, but 60 million pounds plus Joel Matip plus Dayan Lovren plus Steve Akarigi. Now, what do I think about that? That's a great question. Thanks for asking. It's so hard to think about that because do we, like everyone always thought Joel Matip is the last missing piece of the, or like he's the last, you know, crooked piece in this entire puzzle. And if you bring in somebody like Koulibaly or Varane or any other, you know, Lucas Fernandez or whoever it is, any young, strong, world-class center back, Will they complete the puzzle? And frankly, in my opinion, no. No, we don't. We don't need this deal at all. You're giving away too many assets, too much depth. And I know, Dayan Lovren, an asset, he's really not. I he I, I just hope we get some cash out of him in a different deal. But we won a Champions League with Joel Matip. He got an assist on a goal. Uh, I saw a funny tweet the other day. He has more, Joel Matip and Dayan Lovren have more assists in the Champions League final than Lionel Messi. So, I mean, if you connect the dots, you know, who's the Ballon d'Or winner? Not Messi. But, you know, we need depth in the center back position. And although Van Dyke runs literally 30% as much as, you know, everybody else on the pitch in an entire game, he's good at what he does. And he needs a number two that's solid. And Joel Matip has proven that, you know, and... We don't need a second world-class center back. Van Dyke makes everybody better. Robertson makes everybody better. Alexander Arnold makes everybody better. With Joel Matip and Dayan Lovren in the team, with Klopp as our manager, we want a Champions League final. We've won a Champions League. And we're on the brink of winning a Premier League. If I know last season we were one point short and we didn't do anything in the summer and we came into this season and we did everything right, it seemed like. And I know some people are going to think, well, maybe now you're too predictable. You know, Watford figured you guys out at the end, and they they broke you guys apart. Like, just like with Allison and Fabinho, I feel like maybe every summer you have to bring somebody in who's new that's a game changer that can, you know, make your team less predictable. Because we're 25 points clear. Obviously, the top six, other, other than Liverpool, are looking for answers on how to stop us because we're giants right now. And, you know, part of me says, don't give away all those assets. And another part of me is saying, they're coming with fire. They're going to try to sign, you know, Timo Werner and, you know, Serge Gnabry and all these world superstars and Mbappe and all this stuff. They're going to try to come at us because, A, they want revenge because this was a humiliating season for the other 19 clubs. And they want to win. They they want to stop us. For years, everybody joked on Liverpool supporters because they could never cross the line, and now we're going to do it. And now they're probably saying, okay, joke's over. People like City, we got to go back to winning. You know? And, you know, this Koulibaly debate, like, would I make the deal, would I not? You know, I wouldn't. Yes, it's the predictability is going to be way higher, but under Klopp, 
the reliability is way higher. I trust Klopp's system, and he if he can bring in small key players, like if he brought somebody in like a, I don't know, a Nathan Ake, instead of a Koulibaly, you save like 30 million pounds. You don't lose any assets. I mean, I don't know what Nathan Ake is worth. I think it would be like 30 to 50 million. That's a big range, but that's a great young talent. And you pair him up with his countryman, Virgil van Dijk. You got two Dutch center backs in the middle of the defense. And you can grow Nathan Ake. He's a brilliant player. He's a brilliant talent. You don't need to spend 70, 80 million on another center back. You already did that, and you got the best center back on the planet in a matter of years. Van Dyke was a low key player before we bought him. And we brought him in, and now he's the best center back in the world, almost the best player in the world according to UEFA, according to Ballon d'Or, 0.7% away from being the best player of, of the year. You know, for a defender. Have any defenders ever won the Ballon d'Or? Fact check. Any defenders won the Ballon d'Or? Only three. Only three. And they are world beaters. Cannavaro. Matthias Sommer, Franz Beckenbauer. These are three people that are going to go down in history as the three greatest center backs to ever play the game. And then you have Van Dyke who makes this difference in three years. No, we don't need Timo. No, we don't need Koulibaly. Moving on to the next one. I was about to write an article the other day talking about transfer targets. I almost went into this earlier, uh, like 10 minutes ago, and then I got into this Koulibaly thing. There are three others that I would pursue. And I will list them out right now. Number one, Kai Havertz having a brilliant resumption of the Bundesliga season. He has like four or five goals in three or four games, which is absolutely incredible and really shows his, he's German, you know, and Klopp is German. So there's always a link there. And, you know, that could always help. That's why I think that's why Timo thought so highly of us in the press. You know, many interviews, he talked about how prestigious of a club we were and how amazing he thought Klopp was. But, you know, Timo isn't the answer. Kai Havertz is. Because you have people like Nabi Keita, who's falling off a little bit. You have people like Shakiri who isn't performing. You know, although Liverpool get these low-key signings and develop them into superstars, Nabi Keita was a bust. We dropped 79 million pounds on him, and he hasn't performed yet. He had so much potential. And it just didn't work out. And that's how things work sometimes. Shakiri, a solid $30 million for him, just didn't work out. Some things work out. I think Kai Havertz will work out. He is brilliant. In this Bundesliga startup, resumption of the league, I've had a chance to watch Bundesliga football, and him in particular. I've watched Werner and Havertz, not because I'm interested in Bundesliga, because I'm interested in the players that we might be going after. He's incredible. He's incredible. And... um. He's a brilliant signing. So if you have people coming, going out the door, like a 34-year-old James Milner, a 29-year-old Jordan Henderson, you know, Adam Alana's probably on his way out. Oxlade Chamberlain's probably here to stay. Might go on loan unless he is our guy for next season. Um, who else is there? Uh, Keita's out of form. Shakiri's out of form. You know, it's time to bring somebody in who's young, who can be developed, and who's ready to play with this caliber of a club. Bayer Leverkusen is a 
decent club. They're not at that high level. I think they were in Champions League this year, but I can't confirm that. But the fact that I don't know if they're in Champions League or not means that, and they have a player like that, means that he's ready to go. He needs to go, and he needs to start getting to bigger clubs and you know, thriving in that environment and being a world beater. Because if you watch him, he is. He's fantastic. He's in, I think he's in number 10. You know, he's very expressive um, in the attacking end. And that's just something we need because last season, something that we lacked, we had Fabinho, usually Wijnaldum, and Henderson. You take out Henderson and Fabinho are not expressive players. They are strictly defensive. And we played a 4-3-3 with only one holding. You know, Jordan Henderson, yeah, he's considered he's being considered for, you know, PFA player of the year, which is fantastic, and he deserves that for what he's done over his career. But we need more expressive players, and that's why we got people like Shakiri and Keita these past couple of years, past couple of seasons, you know, in the summer. Because we needed an expressive player. Wynaldum's great. You know, he's that guy. And I thought Keita was going to be the same person as Wijnaldum. And maybe he was. He just didn't show it on the pitch. So we need somebody like that. And Oxlade-Chamberlain, he's a workhorse. But he also has a shot like a... He has an amazing strike. You know? And it's a shame that he went through that injury three years back. Because he was in the best form of his life. Arsenal turned him down. And... You know, they underappreciated him, and we brought him in. We changed his position from right wing to center mid, and he just became this workhorse. You know, that crazy two crazy goals against City, and I love him. He's one of my favorite players in the, at, at, the, at the club, and um, I want him to stay. So him and Wijnaldum are the only expressive midfielders I can think of that are here to stay for a while. Now, I don't see us selling Keita. I see us selling Shakiri. But I don't think Keita will do any damage anytime soon. And that's why I think we need to bring in Kai Havertz. He'll probably be valued around 60 to 75. Again, another really wide range of for a price tag, but you really never know. Leverkusen, Bayer Leverkusen probably see the potential in this kid, and they're going to try to get as much as possible so they can go out and get more talent for their club. Now, I know I said I had three transfer targets, but on the list, one of them was Koulibaly. And... But that for the article that I was going to write, it's basically only players that were rumored. You know, there are people that rumored like Dennis Zachariah from Bayern Mönchengladbach or uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, sorry. And, um, you know, people like that, Koulibaly. But, you know, another person I hope we can bring in besides Kai Havertz and the second person is Adama Traore. And apparently we're supposed to make, I think it was like a 40 or $50 million bid for him, pound bid. Um, I think that's a great price for someone of his caliber. He's 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 always way younger than I think he is, you know, because he spent one year at Barca and he's been all around the world, but he's only about 24, 25. And I think he's ready to make that big step to a top, top six club. And Wolves really made an impression on the rest of the league this year, you know. I start to think, are Arsenal dropping out of those big top six clubs because they haven't really performed up to a top six club in the past couple of years? They're in 10th right now. With the season on hold, they are in 10th in the table, I think. And Wolves are in a Champions League position. You know, Sheffield United's in a Champions League position. You know, I, I consider Leicester to be in the top six now. 
because they've been so consistent. I think they're going to continue to be consistent. But where I'm going with this is, do I know if Wolves are going to continue this season after season? No. If Adama Traore leaves, absolutely not, because I think that'll be a domino effect for people like Diego Jota and Raul Jimenez and, you know, Jao Moutinho and all these people if Adama Traore leaves and Doherty. But Adama Traore, I don't think he's out. I don't, I don't know. I can't say I know if he's that loyal to Wolves. But, you know, if you're a guy that failed at Barca, obviously that was probably a big move for him in his career, and he was probably over the moon that he gets to play for a top three club of, of all time, you know, consistently. it It's probably great. And then you fail at Barca, and you're there for less than a year. You know, you go to Wolves. You go to a French club, then you go to Wolves. You bounce around. Then you get an offer on the table for, from Liverpool Football Club in their prime form. You're going to want to jump on that, even though his role, like I said before with Timo, he'd be on the bench, and he would get limited playing time. And yes, that would probably ruin his potential. But did he care more about winning? And, you know, let me let me backtrack. Just because he would be on the bench doesn't mean he wouldn't play. Klopp is really good with rotations, and we're going to be in multiple competitions. You know, we're going to be playing all the time. Especially if we're finishing off the season in June. I think they're trying to get it done in six to nine weeks. But if there's any overlap with the start of the next season, then things are going to be crumpled together. And I can guarantee you that Klopp's starting first team is not going to be fit enough to play all 38 games with other competitions. Adam Traore will get good playing time. And we won't have to spend much money on him compared to, like, you know, Bale transfer, Neymar transfer, and Bappe transfers. You know, I don't think it'll be over 100. And we have the money for it. Like, we haven't spent all the Coutinho money. I don't even think we've spent all the Suarez money um, or the Sterling money. We have so much money. And we're always circulating around with these small players that don't really work out. You know, like, Lallana's probably going to go, and he was an important part of our evolution as a club. You know, Keita might go. We're definitely not going to make a profit on Keita, I can tell you that. His value's dropped crazy low, in my opinion. And Shakiri, you know, he's only... This is only his... Oof. Blanking here. There's only his second season at the club. You know? And I think this is Keita's third. But in my opinion, I give them more time. They're both... I mean, Shakiri's not the youngest... But Keita isn't old. Like, Keita's got time. I think he has the potential. I think Shakiri's. That's why I think Shakiri's going to go and Keita is going to stay. Just because I think we spent too much money on Keita for, for us to just let him go after two, three seasons. Excuse me. Spouting on. I needed a sip of water. Anyway. Adama Traore definitely think we should pursue because I have no idea how I feel how I feel about Divock Origi I mean no I I'm saying I love Divock Origi I don't know how he's feeling you know to be you know to come in clutch on so many occasions and probably gain so much confidence from playing on the playing in games late in the seat late drama in the season and then the next week, you just get taken out. You're on the bench again. It's demoralizing, I'm sure. 
I I didn't play much in high school, and it was and then I whenever I did get to go on, it felt great. And then you're on the bench the next game, you know it's it's not it's not a good feeling. And you might think at such a young age in his mid twenties he might want to go, you know. And Liverpool might also be thinking, although he's very crucial, we are at a caliber of a club where we can go out and get somebody just as good, if not better, to be a bench player. And Origi's probably thinking, I could do so much better and play on a different club and start in the first team. You know, so Origi leaves, we need a replacement. But if Origi stays, we also need more depth because, you know, I don't want Origi to be the only one on the bench that's an attacker for us. Like, Shakiri is not going to be a reliable attacker. I just don't, I don't think he's fast enough and I don't think he's confident enough. I don't think he has the ability. I think Origi does. But Adama Traore is young, and yes, he seems a little shaky when he's dribbling. But that's why we we have the best manager on the planet, in my opinion. He can develop anybody. He developed Andrew Robertson from Hull City into arguably the best left back on the planet. Are you kidding me? And he developed arguably the best right back on the planet right now, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Started his first game at, like, what, 17, 18? Now he's, four years later, he's 21, and the best right back in the world with still so much time to grow. I believe in Klopp. I've never seen a transformation of a club this great, and I trust him with anything. So whatever the club does this summer, I'm okay with. Whether they buy, whether they spend $90 million on something, or $150 million on something, or whether they do nothing, um, I trust my club because there was a point where we lost Europa League finals and Capital One Cup finals and finishing sixth in the table and, you know, losing at home to teams like West Brom. And I was there for all of that. I was there for the Mamadou Sackos and the John Flanagans. And nobody knows who these players are. And that's exactly why, because they're nobodies. And I sat through all of that. And then Klopp came in, transformed the entire thing, making low-key signings, like I said before, Firmino, Mane, you know, Lalana was key. He had a great career at, our, at, our, at the club. You know, Robertson, he transformed this whole thing. And because of that, I fully believe in anything that he does. You know, tactically, financially, you know. Whoever he puts out there on the weekend, I trust. It's, it's why I, you know, never believed we were going to lose this season. And we only lost once. We only lost once, and we drew like three. And the season's not over, and we're two wins away with 11 games remaining from winning our first Premier League title ever. So whatever he does, I believe in him. And that's why the whole cop has trust in Klopp. A little Dr. Seuss action there. Very nice. Very nice. And, uh... I just needed to do a Liverpool episode just so I could get this podcast out to you guys. Whether you're interested or not in Liverpool, I think you'll learn something about all these players. Um, But yeah, it should be interesting. Not only what Liverpool do in the summer, but what every club in the Premier League does this summer. You know, because you're sitting around not playing football, your club has to be doing something, and that's probably researching how you can do better the next season. And... 
it should be interesting if United bring in somebody like Jaden Sancho, then that completely changes things because he's incredible. And, you know, they're also linked with Jack Grealish and James Madison and even Harry Kane. You know, Harry Kane might leave this summer. You know, you have people like City who are trying to bring in, uh, you know, Serge Nabry, maybe David Alaba or, you know, a bunch of people. Yeah, people like Chelsea on the brink of bringing in Germany's a top two striker in in the Bundesliga, you know, to fill the position that they desperately need. You know, I don't know what Spurs are doing this summer. I don't know what Arsenal are doing this summer, but those are all, you know, clubs with very high reputations and they can attract world-class players. So it should be extremely interesting. And obviously the fo- the footballroundtable.com will keep you updated on all of that if you go to it. We also have an Instagram and it's the same thing, the football roundtable. All no spaces. We have a Twitter, it's called Roundtable Uncensored. And uh I think the I think the the username is I think it's Roundtable U at roundtable U. Um, we have, like I said in the beginning, we have two new writers, four in total. The future looks bright for the website, and I really hope you guys are enjoying it. Now, the reason why we made the Instagram is because there's no comment section on Spotify. So if you like the podcast and you have something to say, maybe like a question, I'll definitely answer them on the next one. So our Instagram, the football roundtable, follow us, direct message us, you know, all of us are controlling the account. If you have any questions, please do ask or anything we can improve on. We desperately love your opinion. We need your opinions and feedback. But for now, with that said, let's we're going to sign off. And we'll see you next time, hopefully soon. Hopefully not as long as it took for me to record this between the last one. But I appreciate, I appreciate the support so much. And with that, I'm signing off. Peace.